Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. <laughs> and the technology. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey guys, can you believe it's been 40 years since Michael Jackson's Thriller came out? Are we that old? (laughs) Thanks, Vincent. That really hurt. Hey gang, it's Beersy and it's time for another anniversary edition of Stuck in the 80s. With me today, it's our old friend Chuck Coverley. Hey everybody, how you doing? And also, fresh off of publishing her latest book of 80s trivia, it's author Tamara Dever. Hi guys. Hey, you'll love my Michael Jackson joke. It's a real thriller. Oh. Oh. Come on, you're rolling your eyes, aren't you? Uh, yeah, my o- job's done here. <laughs> too old to roll my eyes. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, let's set the stage here. The date was November 30th, 1982. Michael Jackson, still enjoying the success of his 1979 album Off the Wall, was ready to set the bar with a new album where, quote, every song was a killer, unquote. To do it, He would enlist producer Quincy Jones to create a new sound that combined pop, post-disco, rock, funk, and R&B. With a budget of just $750,000, Thriller was born. One year later, after spending 37 non-consecutive weeks at number one on the charts, Thriller had sold 32 million albums and had transformed the radio, record, and video worlds. Even Rolling Stone, the most jaded of rock publications gave the album four stars and wrote quote rather than reheating off the walls agreeably <laughs> rather than reheating off the walls agreeably mindless funk jackson has cooked up a zesty lp whose up-tempo workouts don't obscure its harrowing dark messages he's dropped the boyish falsetto that sparked his hits from i want you back to don't stop till you get enough and chosen to address his tormentors in a full adult voice with a feisty determination that is tinged by sadness. Jackson's new attitude gives Thriller a deeper, if less visceral, emotional urgency than any of his previous work and marks another watershed in the creative development of this prodigiously talented performer, unquote. Wow, that's a lot of words there for, for an album, but if there's ever an album that deserves it, it might be Thriller. I think this was the first album of my musical generation in the eighties. That was just the album that like rocked everybody. I don't know anybody at the time that didn't have this album. I didn't. Oh, I know. Isn't that weird? Well, in all fairness, you were how old at that point? I was in eighth grade. That might've been, I was, I was in, I think, uh, would have been a freshman in high school. When this okay. album dropped, yeah. So in all fairness, I grew up on classic country music and 50s rock and roll. And I was just starting to realize that there's real music out there. Did I buy the album right away? Because you you almost didn't need to because it was on the radio nonstop. One, when I was looking back at this, I, I'm trying to think of when I got the album. I think I got it 
for Christmas in 83. So I kind of got it late. I think I got it after the thriller video had actually uh, premiered. Um, but I just have, you know, memories of just, you're right. It was on the radio everywhere all the time, constant repeat on, on MTV. Where did you have it? Uh, vinyl? Yeah. I had it on vinyl, have it on vinyl somewhere. I'm, I'm trying to locate it, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it didn't go the way of my kiss albums. I had a little carrying case that had a bunch of my albums and it got lost in a move over the years. And I'm like, I know I have this album somewhere. I had it. I had it on cassette. I know for sure. I think everything at that time was cassette, so I could listen to it in a car. But later on, I would buy it on CD. And then I remember, like, when my niece got to the appropriate appropriate age and she was getting curious about Michael Jackson, I lent it to her, and I never saw it again. <laughs> and and another fan was born, right? Yeah, that, that's that's the upside of it. So, yeah. Um, what about you, Tamara? Do you remember buying it? Did you own it or no? Yes, I got it when I joined for the umpteenth time one of the either bmg or columbia house i made sure i had it. i've actually got the cd in front of me wow there you go that'd be a fun interview if we get somebody like one of the uh, originators or at least one of the executives in the from one of those record companies to come on the show and kind of explain that business model to us yeah i just want to know how much money they lost i think mean, i know that they made money hand over fist but i just want to know how many cds were sent out and never ever paid for I want to say the biggest sh- the shame for me was that I, I used it and I, instead of going out and getting like these great, you know, landmark albums of the time, like Thriller, I used to always use my allotment to buy the, to get the greatest hits of everybody. So consequently, my record collection at that time was like greatest hits of the Rolling Stones, greatest hits of the Who, greatest hits of this, greatest hits of that. I, I feel like a bit of a music fraud. I did some of that too. But, you know, that's that's the way I discovered bands like Little River Band. Um, I got their greatest hits and went, yeah, I need to learn more about these guys. I want more albums because I like what I hear. Yeah, I think when you're younger and you have a limited budget, you you pretty much just, you know, go for the hits and the songs that you know. You don't have that uh, indispensable income as a kid and go, hey, let me just buy up all these albums. Let me just get their greatest hits. You know, and I think the Eagles' greatest hits, volume one, is actually the the greatest selling greatest hits album of all time and it might be their greatest selling album of all time so there's something to be said about these greatest hits every time i think of the eagles i think of um the album is it the longest run is one of their albums the long run the long run the long run oh god so i s- traded my copy of the long run for somebody's um dance mix of rapper's delight Oh my god! Worst worst trade ever. Oh. I'm hoping that you got it signed last year. No, no. Uh, oh, it's long gone. I'm sure. I'm sure. Like within a year, I had thrown rappers to light out the window like some idiot. You know. Well, on on November 18th, which is tomorrow, as we record the show, probably a few days ago, as you're listening to it, a special two CD uh, edition 40th anniversary version of the album will be released and it'll be called Michael Jackson Thriller 40, which it sounds like they're just using SEO terms to name albums these days. (laughs) Um, It'll have 10 bonus tracks and 15 additional tracks that had previously had limited releases. So we all going to buy that. I I tend to think I will. If it's available digitally. Yeah. It does (laughs) depend on how much they want. 
we have honored Thriller before on Stuck in the 80s. If you go back to episode 49 whoa, in uh, 2006, so a year after we started the show, maybe not even a full year, we we did a, a little uh, you know tribute to, to Thriller, and that CD had just been released. And so we had all that extra bonus material and it was, it was something else. It was just like um, finding that there's a hidden compartment in your treasure chest, you know, and <laughs> there's a whole nother tray of uh, emeralds and diamonds underneath there. So it was, uh, it was something else to explore. Um, so unlike that first episode back in um, 2006, we are going to go song by song through the album. Um, this isn't going to exactly be a book report about thriller. It, we're going to, try to share some interesting trivia about each track you know if there was a, any personal connections that we made with it and have some fun and then at the at the end of that Tamara's got a special uh 10 question trivia quiz she's going to try to stun us with sound good sounds great let's go okay <laughs> because i know chuck loves to do this let's start with side 1 you know what i knew you were going to say something about that <laughs> uh. Uh, want to be starting something with me, Steve Spears? Yeah. I said you want to be starting something. You got to be starting something. I said you want to be starting something. You got to be starting something. But you're hiding it over. Yeah. You love to get under. Yeah. You're stuck in the middle. Yeah. What's so weird to me is that they didn't make a video for this song. Like, to, to, to me, that this is one of those tunes that you hear the song and you're like, okay, we're thrilled. This is thriller. This is Michael Jackson. It's a great song to start the night with. I think when he did the, this is it tour or when he was prepping for it, this was going to be the first song and yet no video bizarre Mm. for the King of video. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the timing of the year. I I spent a lot of time in the summertime. If a song came out in the summer, I was outside listening to it on radio. Um, Otherwise, I was inside the house watching MTV, and this this was one that was notably missing. I remember wondering what the video was going to be about, and there was no video. I never really thought that much about the lyrics of this particular song. I looked it up recently, and I guess that it's about the media, as well as gossip and people trying to start arguments or problems for no reason. Hence the lyrics, someone's always trying to start my baby crying. But I, can, can we all agree that the vegetable lyric thing is one of the most bizarre things? <laughs> I hear you. I had never even realized that's what he was saying. When when I was that age, I didn't pay attention to the lyrics. So I just thought it was a fun song. So to find out that it's all like kind of dark, like what? I just like to dance and sing along to the few words I knew. You know, coming, look, doing the the preparation for this, uh, and then going back and listening to it again, it 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 was cracking me up as I was listening. Um, I I I guess I knew it was vegetable. I don't know. I didn't think twice about it. Like Tammy said, you just don't think about it that much when you're young. Um, but I thought maybe it was a misheard lyric, and then you go back and you look at the words and the 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 sleeve, and it's that's exactly what it is. It's he's talking about vegetables and going to eat you and you're a buffet and i'm like what <laughs> is what is he talking about I, I used to sing this song really loudly at my wife and say <laughs> you, you know you're and do the whole vegetable thing like intentionally saying you're a vegetable like it's, intentionally what i thought i was doing was screwing up the lyrics to try to annoy her i had no idea those were actually the lyrics <laughs> i mean i i have been in being intentionally obnoxious but factual at the same time 
after the first time he says vegetable, I, I had no idea what he says after that. So yeah. that was one of those misheard ones. I just just made stuff up and made noises because I didn't know what he was saying. Kind of like the I'm a same I'm a Sama Makusa. Yeah, thing. what's the story behind that? Yeah, so that was actually part of a song from 1972 called Funky Soul Makasa. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, and Michael didn't have permission to use it and got sued. And then Rihanna sampled it in 2007 in her song, Don't Stop the Music. And she and Michael were sued by by that original song singer, Manu Dibango. Uh, and it, from what I hear, it got settled out of court. Yeah, Michael but. probably had the money to just say here. Yeah, <laughs> just pay it. Thought it sounded more like an off the wall song than a thriller song. It's a transition song. Yes, and and that's fair because I mean you needed one. It had been three years. I, to be honest, Michael Jackson wasn't on my radar all that much in 1979. I, I didn't discover off the wall really deep until much later. Um, but he, he he almost seemed to have come out of nowhere. Like he was this Michael Jack. He was this Jackson Five little kid course grow up growing up knowing who he was but i felt like this was really his coming out album that now he's a grown-up i think maybe because i kind of missed off the wall when it first came out uh like i said he wasn't really totally on my radar um i might have been listening to something different when i was 11 i was much more interested in charting his path to thriller than his path from thriller right so. Yeah, I agree. I actually like Off the Wall better, which most people would say I'm blaspheming. But no, no, I, that's fine. No, it's a great album. It's not wrong to have a preference. <laughs> <laughs> I've got. I, you could ask me tomorrow, and it might change my mind. But usually, Off the Wall is my favorite. I have that on cassette still. Yeah. Here's the next track off of Side One. That's Baby Be Mine. And to be honest, I, I really, really like this song. It's so funky. It's I, I don't know why it didn't get better play. I don't either. This is my favorite track on the whole album. Whoa, that, that might be blasphemy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I how love did, it. How, how, how would you be? Because it, it hardly ever got radio play, right? I can't imagine. It wasn't released as a single, so it probably didn't get a lot of radio play. Was it after you got the album and you listened through? Yeah. And so in high school, I worked at the public library and you could actually check out the albums. Nice. So I did that with tons of albums and I'd record them on cassette then. Uh, so I listened to it in high school a lot more and I love this. And my best friend loved it too. So, you know, we, we played it together and it's sweet. It's smooth. It's got a funky bass line and the horns. I love horns. Um, you got to sing along to the chorus. So yeah. I looked it up. Billboard magazine wrote that Baby Be Mine is a live, infectious piece of burbling pop funk. It's spare lyricism, allowing Michael the room for one of his best vocal showcases on the album. Wow. Hmm. That's nice. I hadn't heard this probably since the last time I listened to the album all the way through, which was quite a while ago. Yeah. Uh, and as soon as it started playing, I was like, man, this sounds like George Benson. You know, give me the night. Has that 
music in the back in the beginning when it starts. I'm like, this sounds. So I looked it up. And of course, it makes perfect sense when you realize that uh, Give Me the Night was produced by Quincy Jones. And both songs were written by Rod Temperton, uh, the keyboardist for Heat Wave. Yeah. Rod is all over this album. Yeah. So, um, no, but seriously, looking back, I mean, this is one of the songs now that it's going to make my playlists going forward a lot more than this next song will every night she walks right in my dreams since i met her from the start i'm so proud i am the only one who is special in her heart the girl is mine the dog girl is mine That's the girl is mine with uh, Paul McCartney. Um, hey, pop quiz. Let's see if anyone knows this one. Um, how many duets have Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson done together? I know of at least one other one, but I don't want to say 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 it right now. <laughs> oh, Chuck. Tammy, do you know the answer? Is that one of your questions, Tammy? It is not. I know it's three, and I only know the other one because I looked it up. Oh. I had, I had, I knew say, 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 and I knew the girl is mine. I had, I was shocked to find out that there was a third one. Girlfriend, Did you know? girlfriend. No, I didn't know. But, but something, something told me it was, it was something like the, the trouble is like I'm in the period of time right now where I'm coming up with all these trivia questions for the next '80s cruise, and the the danger the pitfall of that is you've got to write questions where you know there's only one answer uh, because there's always going to be some jackass in the audience i, I mean friend of the podcast <laughs> who, who is going to call you if you screw it up and if i said oh you know this is the other duet someone's going to raise their hand and say what about girlfriend and so that's um, and I guarantee you there's someone out there right now holding up their hand saying, I know a fourth one, but I, I could only find those three. But so, say, say, say was only on Michael. I mean, only on uh, Paul's album. It wasn't a release as a single for Michael Jackson or off of an album for Michael Jackson. Right. I think you, I think you could be right. And I have again, no idea. I hedge my answer again, yeah. <laughs> knowing that there's someone out there raising their hand going, you're both wrong. You know, okay, so. I'm actually raising my hand because I read that there's a song called The Man, and that was their duet. And that and Say, Say, Say went on Pipes of Peace, McCartney's hmm. album. Uh, so hmm. I'm going to have to look it up because I'm doubting myself. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> anyway, um, this song did go to number one on the R&P charts, stayed there for three weeks. Um, it's been the subject of two plagiarism lawsuits. <laughs> First in 1984, another one in 1993. Both instances have required Mr. Jackson to testify in court. Each lawsuit was decided in favor of the singer and his record label. So he must have had a Groupon. You know, I tried looking up the song that that was that the, the guy who apparently thought that he wrote that song. His name was Fred Sanford. And when you Google Fred Sanford, you get you, Sanford and Sons. You get Sanford and Son and Red Fox. <laughs> And I couldn't. So I found a name of a song that he claimed that it was, and I looked that up, and I just, I, I don't know, I don't know. Fred. Well, at least, at least he got to meet MJ. That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's one way of doing it. I'm gonna start doing that with John Cusack. Start suing him for everything. 
uh, you know. <laughs> and then bring along your recorder so you can make a podcast out of it. Yeah. <laughs> interesting idea. Uh, so we're going to talk about growing up as a Beatles fan and how interesting this was of a pairing for me. Uh, you know, my mom played tons of Beatles stuff when I was a kid. We had She had a bunch of the albums. In fact, they just found them in the basement when I was looking for the Thriller album and couldn't find it. But as far as I know, like this was the first duet, right? That the Beatles, that any of the Beatles ever did with somebody who wasn't a Beatle. Do we know if that's true or not? Uh, God, that just, that, that is something that I'm sure there's got to be. Someone's some... going to write in and let us yeah. know, right? <laughs> I don't know. That'll be interesting. People, I don't know. People don't write in as much anymore. <laughs> I, I miss the days when people would send in these really great emails with these long sob stories that, you know, ah. Oh, you know, you got to do their controversial material, like when you guys were were dumping all over Kenny Rogers, and you got did, like I don't think we dumped on Kenny Rogers, oh, did we? And oh, I heard Tammy just, you know, gasp, gasp for <laughs> growing up on country. I know she's I oh, love Kenny Rogers. Go back and listen to the podcast. I was like, what I'm the like, memorial? God. The memorial one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit, I'm sorry. I I I certainly didn't mean that. I mean that's. We, we we catch grief in the reviews of the podcast from time to time from people who say that we, even though we proclaim to be '80s fans, we sound like we're dumping on the decade so much. But I mean, I, I don't. I would never intentionally dump on the man who gave us "Love Will Turn Us Around." That's right. But you're allowed to be critical of your favorite decade, right? If not you, who else? Uh, well, yeah. Now that you've said it that way, <laughs> yeah. And one more thing I want to say about the songs while we're on the topic. Uh, I'm going to plug the the Billboard Close But No Cigar list here. This song actually spent three weeks at number two in January of 83. It was kept out of the top spot by both Hall & Oates and Men at Work. For two weeks, Men at Work blocked them out of there. So, Wow. Uh, yeah. Pretty impressive. That, was it Maneater for, for Hall & Oates? Maneater and Men at Work, it was Down Under. Oh, wow. Those, I mean, I yeah, it's like you're going to be kept out. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it being kept out of the top spot, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, so. well, it was the first single from the album. You can't say that it didn't that it that it underperformed hitting number two. <laughs> yeah, um, this next song is a phenomenon upon itself. It is the final song on side one, and it needs no introduction. controversial opinion here if this song didn't have the video that went along with it the, you know this mind-bending uh pop cultural icon of a video would it be a song that we would spend much time talking about i don't think it would have been that big no it's all about the video if you mention thriller people think the video first yeah that's the first thing that i thought of as soon as i think about that video you're thinking of that short movie what was it 26 minutes how long was that like half an hour long music video it was a movie it was a movie essentially i yeah i remember when i first had the album this song would come on and i would skip it how many times am i going to use the excuse i was just 13 years old yeah but how would you skip it did you fast forward the cassette tape flip it flip it over and rewind it oh, yeah yeah you so, do it that way no i did um <laughs> So so many things to say about this song that we, we've said before, but um, 
one of the things I think is really interesting that we discovered that the on that previous bonus edition of the, the CD that we talked about earlier in the show, there are additional lines that Vincent Price recorded that the song didn't use. But you can hear them if you listen to any of that to that special edition. And here's here's some of what he said that was not included. The demons squeal in sheer delight. It's you they spy, so plump, so right. For though the groove is hard to beat, yet still you stand with frozen feet. You try to run, you try to scream, but no more sun you'll ever see. For evil reaches from the crypt to crush you in its icy grip. Did he get paid for this? I forget. He got less than a grand. Probably didn't need the dough. Yeah, at that I point. Know. I think I would have wanted royalties later. Yeah, that would have been nice. This, what I love about this one so much, and, and, I, and I, we said it before, and we'll say it again, and we'll say it again on the 50th anniversary. The world premiere of the video. Am I am I wrong? I mean, what, is there a is there a moment other than Live Aid that you can look back on in the '80s and say, "I remember where I was at the world premiere of the Thriller video." You know what? As soon as you said that, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. Like I just I can remember it was it was coming on. It was coming. It was a Friday night. It was December third, second, nineteen eighty three, when when it when it uh, premiered. And we had to run out real quick and get uh, McDonald's. And I remember, I remember, I got chicken nuggets, the chicken McNuggets, and sweet and sour sauce because that was my favorite. And plumped my butt down in front of this TV, <laughs> and you know our 19-inch Zenith color television that we all would watch, you know, huddle around and watch this world premiere that they had been advertising ad nauseum every 15 minutes on MTV. It was like, don't forget, tomorrow night is the world premiere. And, uh, man, it's, it's, this was before we had social media. So you, you just wanted to talk to somebody about it, but you're not going to pick up your phone and call all your friends. So we had to wait until Monday morning to talk at school about, oh my gosh, did you watch the Michael Jackson? And of course everybody did. And yeah. it was, you know, for a week, I think it was just everyone. I, I imagine being a teacher then and going, okay, guys, we're talking about the hypotenuse now. <laughs> You know, can we do this? And, you know, the rest of us are like, no, we want to talk about Thriller. Like, it just blew our minds, blew our minds. Yeah. And, and then the making of documentary was equally compelling. Oh, yeah. Ah. And I think that aired right after it, right? The world premiere aired, and then right after it was the um, the making of. And yeah. that, that was just amazing. And then we all laughed, of course, when we heard Michael scream. Because when they when they dubbed over the and his voice was like and he's like yelling. If you go back and watch it now, I dare you not to laugh when Michael screams as the uh, as the wearable. But it's great stuff. I mean, it was a big night. I know my little brother and I sat there. We weren't usually allowed to watch MTV. We watched. We were latchkey kids, so we watched it when we could. But uh, we watched that and just glued to the television, like. There weren't videos that were, this was a movie, like you said, like this was, we're like, what is this? Like it's starting out like a movie. The song didn't even start right away. There's dialogue and acting. Like, what is this? And what I, I thought was neat is how it was broken up. Like the song would play maybe a chorus, a, you know, a verse chorus, and then it went into something else. Yeah. You know, a little bit more of the movie and then it would come back in. Like they kind of stretched it 
it, it's just you know i it's go on youtube and just watch it if yeah. you've never seen it again over and over again i love how everyone today still knows how to do the thriller dance because of this video without so can video. i tell a story that doesn't need to be in the podcast <laughs> sure <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, i mean you your, your discretion so I, I've been a DJ. I do a lot of weddings and things. In fact, they just did a, a wedding uh, last month, I guess now, for Gorilla Monsoon's daughter that I grew up with. So I, I did her wedding. and But I, I did a Mormon wedding, which was very interesting. They had it at the tabernacle, but you're not allowed to go inside and actually watch the, the ceremony unless you're a Mormon. Um, and her family was not. His family was. So her family was not allowed to attend the actual wedding wow. service inside the tabernacle oh my gosh. Um, but we had the the wedding right after and i'm thinking you know there's no alcohol because they don't drink alcohol and i'm thinking man i hope these people will party you know I'm not saying that alcohol is the only reason that you want to party at a wedding but it kind of helps right <laughs> so they come up and say you know do you have can can you play you know footloose or can you play you know they'll ask me and they'll be all happy when i say yes you know and they do you, do you have thriller and i played thriller they went out, the bride and the groom, everybody, like her family, they and they all did the dance to the song. It blew my mind. And I have these pictures and their faces are like contorting when they're doing it. Like <laughs> they're actually acting out the face of the zombies and stuff. It was, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. It was oh, really nice. God, that's a great but, story. Yeah. Hell yeah, we're keeping that story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's flip the record over. Let's play the elusive side two, and it starts with this song. those first the drum beats when you just hear it start you're like i don't know this what is that down down what is what is that i don't even know what instrument that is i have no idea you know what i'm talking about though i know what you're talking about but i know the sound before that (laughs) before it goes but when you when you're when you're still not sure if it's going to be eat it or beat it yeah they both sound exactly the same when they start (laughs) and then you're listening for the and then you know it's weird al yeah Am I wrong for saying I I love the, the Weird Al video more? <laughs> no, because you don't even know that it's whether it's not whether it's his or not until the guy hits him on the back and he spits out the soup. That's when you know it's it's Weird Al. Other than that, it's it's frame for frame the exact same beginning. It's you can't think of one song without the other, and yeah, the Eat It video is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I I love the part where they're getting to rumble. You know, and they they tie them together, and they're going to have the dance fight. And instead of having knives, they have forks and spoons. <laughs> That's great, genius. I just saw him in concert like three or four weeks ago, but it's one of those tours where he was only doing the deep cuts. He wasn't doing any of his uh, parody material. Uh, Man, I was I was disappointed. Did he just play the accordion the entire time? No, no. He, I mean, he he played. His band all sat there on stools and played. Like all, all the deep non-parody cuts. And there was no videos, no costume changes. And I guess it was one of those tours where I guess at the beginning of the tour he announced that that's what he was going to do. But I, I missed that before I bought the tickets. 
Now, have you seen him do the whole yes. costume thing? Yes. It's yes. A huge it's amazing. Multimedia presentation. Yes, it you is. Know, he, it is amazing. He comes riding out on the Segway for uh, white and nerdy. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so good. He is so good. There's there's so much about this song. that's interesting. Um, Eddie Van Halen gets to play. It, it took Quincy Jones. I don't know how many phone calls to get Eddie to actually answer the phone and believe that it was Quincy Jones on the line. To, to do the guitar solo, which he did for nothing, thus pissing off the rest of his band members. Yeah, he actually recorded it when the band was out of town, so nobody would know. That's smart. <laughs> I, um, I, I saw, Tammy, that you had something about how uh, this was, and Quincy Jones wanted this to be a rock song. Yeah, because they were getting all this, there's so much backlash against disco music, and that's what Michael's last album had been. So he was determined to write a rock song. And Quincy wanted a, quote, black version of My Sharona by The Knack. Wow. Hmm. I would never have thought of these two songs as having any relations whatsoever. The next song is probably maybe the song the album is best known for, but should it be? Here we go. This is Billie Jean. In his autobiography, Moonwalk, Michael Jackson said that Quincy Jones wanted to change the title of the song to Not My Lover because he thought it would be confused with the, the tennis star Billie Jean King. <laughs> uh, wow. MJ won that battle, though. So, Yeah, that's 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 exactly who I want to think of when I think of that song. <laughs> I, this one starts like you hear all you need is a second or two of it and you instantly know the song. And I swear, if anybody of our generation hears it, they perk up like a dog when you say squirrel. Yeah. Like, and it's impossible. You just hear it and go, ooh, yeah. Yeah. It's impossible not to move your butt. And this, again, this is one of the songs I play when I DJ. And it just, if, if the dance floor is not already filled, this will fill it. It seems, it seems like such a dark song, though. Yeah. So, so again, I read a funny story. <laughs> Which cracked me up because Michael, okay, Michael was being stalked probably by a lot of people, but there's one lady was stalking him, writing him letters, all this stuff. And one day she, um, she was hanging out by Michael's pool in a bathing suit and sunglasses like she belonged there, accusing him, get this, of being the father of one of her twins. (laughs) He's skilled, but but not that skilled. (laughs) Oh, I just wanted to say that this this song, you know, when he performed it live on the Motown 25th anniversary was the first time that any of us had ever seen the moonwalk. Oh, yeah. And that was, you know, when I think of this song, I think of, you know, the video where with the tiger and the the disco looking dance floor, whereas he's walking, it's lighting up. But, you know, when I when I hear the song, I think I also think about that iconic moment, which is there really any moment in MTV or music history um that stands out like that that for me was mind-blowing i yeah. saw that you know live and i just i just sat there and go oh my gosh what did he just do <laughs> he's walking backwards but he's moving forwards or the other way around like it was just so mind-blowing has, it, has anyone here tried to actually do it yeah i can do it you can do, I'll it? do it on the next 80s cruise yeah 
I, I think I even did it at your wedding. <laughs> I think I think A. Martinez has video of it. Oh my gosh! You gotta have the right shoes was, for it. Maybe that's wor- my problem. Yeah, you have to have, have slick soles on your shoes. If you Slippery have rubber soles, you're screwed. That's right. And and I was wearing those, you know, the tux shoes, so I had the leather soles, and and I was I was moving it. Yeah, it was a black tie party, and so we had the perfect shoes for it. This next song, though, is the one that I have the biggest personal connection with. This is Human Nature. Nature was written by Steve Picaro, keyboardist with uh, Toto, and he wrote, quote, I had written the song for my daughter, Heather. Something had happened at school, and it just inspired me. I wrote the song while we were mixing Africa. I was just tinkering on the piano and wrote Human Nature. It was a batch, one of a batch of three songs I had written over a certain time. I'd written the lyrics, which were the same verse I was singing over and over again. I, I had the YY chorus with each slap echo. Like most of my songs, it was an unfinished song. <clears throat> It's a hell of an unfinished song. And it totally sounds like Toto. Like you can hear that in there when, when you know, the song, but it's, it's, really? it, that, this might be, oh yeah, this might be, you know, for, for the, the, the ballads that, that Toto would have. Like I could hear Steve Lukather singing on this song easily. Huh. Wonder if they ever did. Hmm. I mean, they wrote it. They might as well sing it. Yeah. I, I think I told the story in the first podcast back in 2006. It, I have a date memory associated with this song. A, a girl that a girl had asked me to her prom. It was the only time I think I did one of the very, 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 very few times in my life where someone asked me out. Um, and I think the only it turns out the only reason she asked me was because I was a junior and she was a sophomore, so it was the only way she could get the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> but but we had one date and uh, one kiss, and it happened while this song was playing, and 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 so I just. To me, it is linked forever with that moment in time. That's a good memory. Um, it's very specific. And yeah. what's what's sad is that as I get older, and like we've been doing this show now for 17 years, and um, a lot of the stories I've told, I it's like I've downloaded them into the podcast and I don't remember them anymore. I, I don't know if it's um, I'm just getting older or I just my brain doesn't really change stories the way it used to, but but there are specific moments that I associate and they're almost always associated with a song. And this is the memory of this song. I think of all the, all the songs that are on this album, this is the one that when I hear this, I'm instantly sitting on the floor in our dining room, which is where we had our uh, record player. And I got my radio shack, realistic headphones on sitting there, just looking at the album and this song, for some reason, is the one that always takes me back to that moment. None of the other songs on the album, even though I listen to all of them over and over again, it's that one song that yeah. takes me to that point. It's a portal. Yeah. Um, I did not know until today that Miles Davis recorded his own version of the song in 1985. It's beautiful, by the way. Look it up on YouTube. And John Mayer also played an instrumental version of Human Nature at Michael Jackson's memorial service back in 2009. Um, Speaking of memorial service, it's one of the odd pieces of history that when Michael died in 2009, we did not do 
uh, a memorial podcast for him. We hmm. happened at a week. It was just, I, I I don't know that I have a good answer as to why, other than it was. Um, Farrah Fawcett threw you off. She Farrah died Fawcett, too. So you were. both died the same day. Yeah. Um, we had just, you know, three years previously done the thriller show. And I don't think we were ready to say goodbye. And I just don't, we couldn't, we could not bring ourselves at that point to, to write any, to, to, to put anything down on tape. And a lot, a lot of our heroes were dying about that time. And John Hughes died about that same time. And um, it, I just, I think it was the beginning of, of that trend where we started losing our heroes and it just wasn't something we were ready to face. That day when that happened, I was homesick with the swine flu and was the sickest I had ever been in my life, I think, up to that point. 103 fever. Emery's like, I'm going to take you to the hospital. I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'm laying there, pool of sweat, and I'm having like these weird fever dreams. And, and I saw on TV that he died, but I kept coming in and out of it. And I was like, did that really happen? Like when I finally became lucid, I was like, did that really happen? And by that time, they had put up something about um farrah fawcett dying i was like no it wasn't it was farrah fawcett died and then it came back on and it was just a weird weird day of uh you know things happening that day we were on vacation in cancun and my husband was hanging out outside with some of his friends and i went into our hotel room because our son was only a few years old and needed a nap so he's napping and i turned on the tv and everything's in spanish and all of a sudden it flashed up and I, I knew enough Spanish to know what was going on. And I just sat there. Like I felt like I had been punched in the gut and like, there's no way this is happening. And I couldn't leave the room to go tell anybody until, until Brett woke up, but it was awful. And we're all now older than he was when he died. You know, and I, I think that, you know, back when we were younger, like how many years ago is that 13 years ago now? Um, I guess he seemed like he was so much older, but wasn't because he was one of those things that was always in your life. If you listen to music, Michael Jackson, either with the uh, Jackson five or he was just always there. And then all of a sudden he's gone. And it was, it was difficult to process, not just because of my, you know, 103 fever, but um, difficult time. Like I said, a lot of our heroes were, were leaving us. It was tough at the time working for a newspaper where my job was to make sure our website was updated with the most recent information and that the information was correct. And so much of my mind was consumed with, I can't put this online until I know it's true. And for a while I went in and out as far as, you know, well, you know, TMZ says it's true, but nobody else does. And then, so I, my mind was on, is, is this factually correct? Is it ready to post? You know, who's going to write the obituary for tomorrow's paper? It ended up being Sean. You know, does this, does, you know, I, it was my job to go into the news meeting and push for that story to be on page one, which it was. And um, I think I was so caught up in the act of doing my job that I didn't really have a chance to process it. On that note, <laughs> cheer things up. Hey, folks, this is Pretty Young Thing. I want to love you. EYT was the sixth single from his sixth solo album. 
and it stayed at number one for six weeks. I, I don't know about that last part, but I just want to think it's true. Um, James Ingram and Quincy Jones. That there's a combination that's never going to do you wrong. Right. Oh, fabulous. God, I Ingram. loved this song. So my initials were TLC and they're all over in the lyrics. So I was like, this is mine. This is all about me. <laughs> <laughs> did he ever perform this live though? I did some research and it said that um, they that he never had. Wow. So I was quite surprised and I can't verify that, but most of the sources said that. So That's crazy. Um, rumor has it that Quincy Jones came up with the original title for the song after his wife uh, brought home some lingerie that had the words pretty young thing on it. <laughs> nice. I don't know if I want to go peeking around in the closet in there and see if I come up with any song titles, but uh, more power to you. For me, the song kind of, it sounded more like an off the wall song, like it belonged in there. And I think because of the disco thing and the music, uh, the dancing music, um, that it really fits in there. But uh, it's a great, great tune. I do have a fun fact about this. The backing singers known as the PYTs, they're actually Janet and LaToya, his sisters. Oh, I had no idea. Crazy. So Janet was like, what, 13, 14? When now, I guess when they recorded that. that. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, there's one last song left. And again, it's a deep cut, a very deep cut. This is The Lady in My Life. another song by rod temperton yeah um again i like like tammy i looked to see has he ever performed this live and i don't think he has but, i don't know uh, why he would I, I like it it's i think it's a beautiful song it, it is but i you know it's gonna sound terrible but this was preparing for this was i think the first time that i actually ever listened to it all the way through <laughs> usually when i'm listening to it if if i was anywhere near the record and you know as soon as pyt was over that was the end of the album for me I, I feel bad, but you know, I don't feel that bad. I think I purposely listened to this album in reverse most of the time. I would listen to side two first and then listen to side one because then it would end with thriller. Oh yeah. Which I thought was more appropriate. So well, aren't you smart? I'm, I, no one's ever called me that before, so thank you. Maybe I was being sarcastic. Maybe not. Back, well damn it. In- <laughs> I was just and here I was just about to praise your new book, and now I'm taking it back. Aww. Aww. Now that we finished with the song by song analysis, um, Tammy's going to give us a trivia quiz. And, and here's why we want Tammy to do this. She's the author of so many fun books, but her new one is called Ultimate Mixtape Side B. Uh, more ways to test your rad knowledge of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Tunage. Um, I, holding it in my hot little hands right now. This is amazing work, Tammy. Thanks. I appreciate it. It's a ton of fun. It's fun to create. It's fun to watch other people play it because it really, it's more of a game than a book, don't you think? Especially my family because they don't know the 80s so well, so I know I'll win. Great for long drives. Oh, yeah. It's a fabulous road trip book. Oh, God. Yeah, no kidding. Both are. So I picked out songs and questions from both, both books because all of these are only about the Jackson family. 
So I had to dive in. Um, If I could get all these songs in one book, I'd probably be blasted for loading the book with too much Jackson stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, hit (laughs) us with your best shot. So, oh, that's not a Jackson (laughs) deal. So I have a chapter called The Old Songs. And what I do is give you an artist and I will, I rewrite their song titles and you have to figure out the actual song title. Holy crap, so cons- this going to be hard. <laughs> um, considering we've been so engulfed in all the Jackson stuff, these may be easy today, but okay. we'll see. Give it a shot. All right. So these are all Michael. What a competitor wants to do to the current world record. Beat it. Yes. Son of a ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Coverly, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A red-breasted bird that moves energetically back and forth. Rockin' Robin. There you go. Yeah. Which was a, a number ty- two hit, by the way. It was a close <laughs> but no cigar. And Chuck would oh. know. I remember that song from when I was quite young. Number three, a type of novel or movie that's full of excitement. It's have to be Thriller. Yes. Okay. Wow, that pause kind of freaked me out. Well, no, because I just thought... It- I wanted to make sure there wasn't something more ob- that you know something I was thinking about that was a little deeper, but no, it was obvious. <laughs> okay, number four, the guy in the reflecting glass, the man in the mirror. Oh, yes, damn it, beat me to See? it. Those weren't hard. Okay, I have another category called "You Wear It Well," and everything has to do with some kind of fashion. So I'm going to give you part of the lyric, and you tell me what song it is. Okay. All right. Hey. Hey, pretty baby with the high heels on. Mm-hmm. You tell me the song. I know it. I'm waiting for Steve. The way you make me feel. Yes. Shit. Yes. That's, a, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a great video too. Dancing on top of the burnout car in a post-apocalyptic world, singing to the girl. I do that every day. Yeah. Go ahead. That's normal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on to Ultimate Mixtape side B. Just a little piece of, like a trivia question. So it's no surprise that Thriller was the highest selling cassette tape in 1982. But what was the runner up? Mm. 82. Um, It wasn't. um... So for the whole year. It wasn't the Jay Giles band, was it? It was not. Uh, and I remember playing that one in equal rotation, 1982. So not, it wouldn't be Xanadu. Uh, that was 80. What year was Flashdance? 83. That, that was 83. Um, Olivia Newton. Yeah, I'm going to say Olivia Newton. Let's get physical. I'm going to tell you it was Toto 4. Son of a Ooh. Fabulous! Like one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, see, that's that's throwing that's it back tough. to an earlier discussion of Toto. See what she yes. did. Yeah, isn't that that's good? Huh? See? Nicely done. <laughs> nice call. Okay, one of my chapters is called Animal. I want you to give me a song title, and the clue is Janet Jackson's Feline. A black cat. Yeah. What? Yeah. Cool song. That's on that's on um That's Rhythm that's Nation. On? Rhythm Nation, Rhythm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have that, so 
Good job. I, I, I should be more gracious. Good job, Chuck. <laughs> Instead, he's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> I, I love this competition. <laughs> You're not keeping score, are you? The listeners are. That's okay. Oh, yeah, they can do that. They already know who the loser is in this show. <laughs> Here, I was going to say, you're all winners. You have my book. You're a winner, right? That's true. Okay, <laughs> next next question. Okay, the next three questions are from that category, the old songs. Only I'm going to give you Janet Jackson titles instead. First one is A Remote. Oh, yeah, I got it. But her her biggest selling well i think it's her biggest selling album right control there you go yes that's it oh is that now you're just taking pity on me chuck i mean that chuck gets well, the I, point i don't want to be the one jumping you gotta you, know, you had to yeah well, yeah you had to you had to push me over the, the finish line on that one though okay <laughs> that, that was a sympathy run <laughs> next okay one more you got two more right all right i got two more a country that can keep a beat mm-hmm well, uh, what rhythm nation? Yes. Oh. Nice. Good job, Steve. I'm really, I'm like sweating here. This is hard. <laughs> okay, a drum roll. Okay. Last one. Icky, for example. What was it? Icky, for example. Uh, ooh, Icky. Nice. Uh, Yucky, icky, scary, gross. <laughs> I can't. I, I, I have no clue. You got me on this one. Oh, that's awesome. It's nasty. Oh, oh son of a. <laughs> Dag nabbit. <laughs> See, I love that. I love trivia like this. This is fun. That was fun. That was good. Awesome. I'm glad I was able to stump you on at least one. I thought they'd all be way too easy. Oh, uh, well, they were only the only the only reason we got them was because it was the topic of the day. Otherwise, we would have been <laughs> flailing in the wind. I don't think I want to see that. <laughs> so, so Tammy, where can people pick up a copy of your book? They're on Amazon. Look for Ultimate Mixtape, Ultimate Mixtape Side B. You can also go to totallycool80s.com. Tammy, Chuck, thanks for helping out on this podcast anniversary salute. It's really hard to sum up a phenomenon. What words do you draw upon to celebrate 40 years of a masterpiece? To this day, Thriller remains the best-selling album of all time, with sales of 70 million copies worldwide. It's been certified platinum 34 times over. It won a record-breaking eight Grammy Awards in 1904, including Album of the Year and Record of the Year. It's nearly always included toward the top of any list of the greatest albums of all time. And in 2008, two years after we first honored Thriller on our podcast and a year before the passing of Michael, it was chosen by the Library of Commerce to be preserved in the National Recording Registry of Culturally, Historically, or Aesthetically Significant Recordings. But Thriller was, no, I should say is, a living, breathing entity not something to be preserved on a shelf only to be dusted off occasionally on anniversaries. Its songs are covered by today's artists who yearn to tap into the connection Michael Jackson found with music. Its original beat still offers up a siren song to the dance floor. The singles, the hits, the deeper cuts, those offer a respite from a world where digital connections have sadly replaced human ones. 
Thriller is an album that has touched everyone in the 80s generation, whether you identify as a rocker, rapper, pop fan, or an every type of music fan. It defied labels then, it defies them today. Thriller celebrated a vision. That vision left its permanent mark on our decade, our world, our ongoing reality. Though its messages are occasionally dark and pointed, the mission remains hopeful. Unity through song, peace through music. Music. 